move right into our passage for today. We are in Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read the passage first this morning. It is verses 13 to 35. And as we look at the Gospel of Mark, and we see how we are looking at the way of Jesus about being His disciples, what you just heard from Willie and from David and from Mackenzie is going to fit right in to this passage. Because it really all is uh, about how do we follow Jesus? What does it look like to be His disciple? What are those first steps that we take? And so I'm going to read it. It's Mark chapter 3. It's verses 13 through 35. And it will be up on the screen for you as always. And it says this. Jesus calling His twelve apostles. It says, And He went up on the mountain, and He called to Him those whom He desired, and they came to Him. And He appointed twelve, whom He also named apostles, so that they might be with Him, and He might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom He gave the the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. And so he, meaning Jesus, called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. So truly I say to you, All sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Interesting passage. You know, as um, David and Mackenzie were sharing, I was reminded how one of the things that we do at our uh, student weeks at Harvey Cedars is we create teams. So this year we had colors. We had three teams. And 
our team color was green, right? So it was all about go green for the week. And the reason that we have teams is because we have goals that we set out for the week. We have competitions and games. We do um, scripture memorization. And at the end of the week, whichever team wins, and it's all mostly friendly competition, but at the end of the week, the winning team gets a big ice cream party on Friday night. And it's a great goal to have, right? Especially at camp. But the idea is that we have teams. And so as a team, we gather together and figure out ways to win certain events. Some years we have initiatives where we have to to make things out of materials and we try to get together and plan what's that going to be and how do we do? We have to do it better and faster than the other team. A lot of it is team building exercises. But the whole idea is that as a team... We are learning and we are growing together for that week. And we are trying to accomplish goals. It's as if at the beginning of the week they say, here's your team, here's your color, and here is your mission. So by the end of the week, the goal is to have reached that mission and accomplished what we set out to do. It's a fun part of camp. But it reminds us and helps us to remember that it is important to be a part of a team. There's that saying that says, teamwork makes the dream work, right? But you were to do it together. I remember as a kid, I played hockey a lot with my friends, and my friend Tom was the leader of the team. He was a natural-born leader. See, he put the team together. And, and you know what we did during the week? I mean, we loved to play, but we had games set up, and, and we would play, and we had this league. We put it all together, but we would spend our days during the summer and even during the school year, we'd get together and we would learn about hockey. We would listen to hockey games and we would read about hockey and we would get out there and practice and we would prepare. Why? Because we had a goal to win the game. But we couldn't do it on our own. You see, we were a team. We all had a part to play. And I was the goalie and he was the lead offenseman and we had everybody played their part. We had to encourage each other. When we were making mistakes, we rebuked each other. And see, but we had to come together as a team to reach that goal that we had. And so we trained together. But see, we didn't just spend the week training and preparing. We actually then went out and played. See? And so it was all about being part of a team. And in this passage, Jesus chooses his team. We all remember what it was like when we were kids and you're standing around the kickball field or whatever it was, right? And people were choosing teams and you hope that you're you know, like one of the first ones and not one of the last ones, but you're putting a team together and you have these two teams to accomplish some kind of goal. So Jesus in this passage finally puts his team together. Remember, he had already chosen five of his disciples that we know about. Remember uh, Simon and Andrew who were brothers, fishermen, and he renamed Simon Peter. And another set of brothers, also fishermen, James and John, the sons of thunder. And then he calls Matthew, who is Levi, the tax collector. And he calls others, but here's what's happening in this setting. He had called them. They had already believed in him. He then called them to be followers, so they dropped their nets, right? And Matthew left his tax practice and followed him but now this is so important we get this now jesus is calling out of all of his disciples that were following him 
a disciple is a learner and follower, he calls 12. He calls a small community together. So we're going to see this morning, just briefly, why he does that, who he calls, a little bit about the 12, and what. What does he tell them to do? What is he calling them to do? Right? So there's a why, there's a who, and there's a what in there. And then just some final thoughts. But we see him calling the twelve. So this is that point where they had already been following him, but now he calls them, listen, to a more intimate relationship. It says at the beginning of the passage that he went up on the mountain. Now in Luke's account of this story, in Luke chapter 6, he adds that Jesus was up all night praying. And I think that's important. So Jesus went up onto the mountain to get away from who? The crowds. They were still pouring in around him, pressing in from all sides. He had to get away, but he spent time praying to the Father. And he did that in preparation of calling the disciples. Calling together his team. So that he could pour into their lives. That he could have a smaller community of the thousands that were following him. Maybe of the hundreds that truly were following him for the right reasons, maybe even less than that, he calls the twelve, twelve ordinary men, and calls them to be his disciples. And then it says, and he gave them uh, the name apostles, or the title apostles. So we now have the beginning of what's called the twelve. They're called the twelve elsewhere in the Gospels. And so the twelve are now... The disciples, because they're learners and followers in a more intimate setting, but they are now apostles. The word apostle simply means the sent ones, the ones who are sent out. And here's why. In verse 14 and 15, really just, I think, the key for this whole passage. 14 and 15, it says, He appointed twelve. He also named them apostles. But look at why He did that. It says, So they might be with Him, And so he could send them out and give them all authority. That's what we'll look at this morning. So why does he do it? First and foremost, he does it. It says that he chooses them. He calls them. He invites them in to fellowship with himself. He invites them into community. And it's such an important aspect of what Jesus did in his ministry. If you go all the way back to Genesis, do you remember when we see the account of God creating man does he not say let us make man make humankind what in our image he says let us make them in our image it's the trinity it's father son and holy spirit but it's community do you see that there's community in the godhead father son and spirit and that community says let's make man let's make humankind in our image to join in that fellowship. We are created, brothers and sisters, to worship God and enjoy Him forever. To enjoy fellowship with Him. So Jesus calls the twelve into intimate fellowship and relationship with Him. You see, He often pulls them aside. We're going to see in the next couple of weeks when He starts teaching them in parables. Remember in the parable of the, of the soils? After he says the parable, he pulls them aside and he explains it to them. What Jesus is doing is he is building his team. He has put his team around him 
so he could pour into them. And this is so important for us to understand. That Jesus model applies today. That we are to be in the process continually of discipleship. That's why we say here at Trinity that we pursue discipleship by learning the truth. By growing in faith and serving others. See, this is what Jesus called these twelves to do. See, let's get into a small group. A small community. And he said, I'm going to live with you for the next couple of years. And we're going to walk together. We're going to eat together. We're going to rest alongside of each other. We're going to go through a lot. We'll have our ups and downs, but we're going to do it together. It's about doing life together. But that model is for us today. We are to experience that hands-on training that He gave to His disciples as we learn from God's Word and the moving of the Holy Spirit. We are to have a mentor. That might be new to some of you. Have somebody that's investing in you. Somebody you trust. Somebody that can hold you accountable. But at the same time, be pouring into somebody else. Do you see that? Have a mentor. Be a mentor. Have a mentor, be a mentor. Be a disciple, making disciples. Remember Jesus in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, we see that He sends them out. That's what He's doing here. He appointed the twelve so so they could be with Him and that He could send them out. But when He gives them that Great Commission, He says, go and do what? Make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them, teaching them. So be learners, be teaching, be growing, be serving others. How? First and foremost, by being a disciple and making disciples. Let somebody more mature in the faith, somebody that you trust, pour into you, invest in your life, seek out their wisdom, their experience, their knowledge, but be doing that for somebody else. We have community groups here at church and and that's why we, we like to talk about it a lot. I try to promote it. That we would have more and more community groups every session, every year. Because it's so important that we gather in those smaller communities like Jesus gathered His twelve to do life together. You know, if you are um, teaching somebody a musical instrument, some of you, many of you, have taken uh, lessons, right? Maybe when you were a kid, you remember taking flute lessons or you took the tuba lessons. Maybe you were that kid. Where you carried the tuba around, you were lucky enough to do that. But when you took lessons, you didn't just sit there and watch the teacher do it, and they said, okay, do it that way. I mean, today you can learn anything on YouTube, right? You can learn to do anything on YouTube. I, I ask friends all the time, they, I ask them how to do something, they say, yeah, I know how to do that. Why did you learn that? Oh, I just YouTubed it. You know, I can do it. We can do that, right? You Google it, you go to YouTube. But you know, and that's good, you can learn a lot, but there's something missing. It is that one-on-one, it's the hands-on training. If you're learning an instrument, you know, you're sitting at the piano, and you have a piano teacher, the piano teacher is right there with their hands on the piano, on the instrument, showing you this is how you do it. Maybe even taking your hands and say, put them here, hold them like this, any kind of instrument you're learning. You get the picture, right? There's that hands-on training that has to be passed on. There is visual learning and you can read and you can read all about it. 
But until you have somebody showing you how to do it, maybe even showing you where it is, you take dance lessons. The dance instructor doesn't just say, okay, here's how you do it and do it. Right? Sometimes you have to dance with them. You have a partner. Why? Because you have to work through it. And they have to show you. It's that hands-on training. That is why Jesus called 12. He's not, it's not enough for him to just teach the multitudes. Right? Here's the wisdom. Here is the wisdom of the kingdom. What it looks like to live in the kingdom. No, go and do it. He calls the 12. The perfect model. He pours into their life. And then the Great Commission, what does he say? Before he goes back to the Father last time, he says, go and do likewise. Go and make disciples. Do the same thing. Teaching them, baptizing them. Is not baptism a picture of our salvation story of us dying to sin but living in Christ? It's about salvation. So it's a, it's a representation of that. It's showing that. So we are to do that with others. That's what Jesus is doing. Now, who, who are these 12? Just briefly about these, these 12. They are ordinary men. They are blue-collar, not scholars. Right? They are a couple, of, a bunch of fishermen, a tax collector who was despised. I bet you even the other disciples were a little wary of him. There was a farming area there in Galilee. Most of them were from Galilee except Judas Iscariot. But they were probably farmers mixed in there, tradesmen, just ordinary guys. And he chooses them to do something extraordinary. Shouldn't that give us hope? (laughs) That if God chose these 12 ordinary guys, that he would choose to use us in some extraordinary ways. The saying goes that God does not call the equipped he equips the called. See, it's not like you have to get everything in order and, and know the most more than any other Christian and then God can use you. No, it's the opposite. These men were not Bible scholars. Yes, they knew from their Jewish upbringing. They knew some of the Scriptures, but they were just ordinary working guys. And Jesus calls them to do amazing things for God and His kingdom. To spread it throughout the world. Today we sit here as part of their legacy. Did you ever think of that? We are part of that legacy. These things that we're reading about that happened more than 2,000 years ago, we sit here because of that. Because the disciples were obedient to that call and they went out to make other disciples and multiplied and multiplied. And here we sit today. This list that's given in verses 16 to 19, there's lists in a couple other Gospels, but this one is really, it's a personal list. There's some nicknames in there. I mean, Simon, he changes his name to Peter. First of all, there's another Simon, Simon the Zealot. So there was two Simons, so it's good. Now you got Simon and you have Peter. James, he's the son of Zebedee and John. James and John, they were called the sons of thunder. Kind of a nickname, most likely because of their temper. We're not sure, but had something to do with their personalities, right? And so Mark is writing this being like, oh, here's the motley crew that Jesus put together, right? They had Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, right, who was Levi, went on to write the gospel. Thomas, there was another James, James the son of Alphaeus, or James the Lesser, he is called sometimes. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Thaddeus, I believe, was even a nickname in and of itself. The other uh, lists give a different name. 
and Simon the Zealot, and then, of course, always coming at the end of the list, Judas. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, and actually the only one who wasn't from Galilee, that area where Jesus began to call his disciples. So he puts together this crew of ordinary men, and it says that he also gives them the apostles. They are the sent ones. Why Jesus, look, is preparing them for a mission. He's preparing them to do something. But what good is the mission if all you do is train and prepare, but you never go and you do it? It's a story that's told about some guys that were hired to harvest the field. And so every morning they'd get up and they'd go into the barn and they'd sharpen their tools and they'd, they'd check the engine of the, the plow, right, and the tractor. And they would get everything ready. They'd each read up on the best ways to harvest. And, and then they would go home for the day. Then they get up the next morning, they come in and they would sharpen their tools again and you're ready. And day after day they did that. But they never went out to reap the harvest. See, it's kind of like that for us, right? Like we are to be learning and growing, but you know what? In and of itself, it cannot stop there. There's a reason that we say then you go and serve. Serving is about making other disciples. It's about sharing that faith. It's sharing the growth in your trust Helping others to have the hope that you have in the Lord Jesus. It is disciples making disciples. See, and so they are called apostles. It was a well-known word then. It really just means a sent one, a delegate, an ambassador. Countries have ambassadors, right? We send them all over. Why? To represent the ideas, the policies, the thoughts of the country that sends you. So they are like ambassadors. We are now called We are the sent ones to be Christ's ambassadors. A couple more things about them. Um, There was 12, and that's not by accident, of course. There were 12 tribes of Israel. 12 is an important number. You go and you look at Revelation 21. It talks all about the number 12. 12 foundations, 12 gates, 12 names. It even says that um, the new heavens and the new earth after millennium that there will be Twelve foundations of the new city's wall and the names of the twelve apostles of Jesus will be written on those foundations. Is that cool? See that? So you have the apostles who were part of the church there with the twelve tribes of Israel together. Israel, the church, the new heavens and the new earth. That's pretty cool. I mean, you take these ordinary guys and Jesus is pouring into them. They just get glimpses of, wow, look at these extraordinary things that God, Jesus, is calling us to do. So that should be great news for us, that God can call these men, He can certainly call us. But look, if we're talking about community, we know that we also, right, we can uh, relate to this, don't we all have just like a smaller group of friends? I mean, let's be real, like we come to church and we don't all get together with everybody in church outside of church, right? You have those that are a little bit closer to you, those you're a little bit more acquainted with, but then within them there's, there's closer friends. We have that in life. We, we have a closer group of friends. Jesus had that too. He had a few. It seems that we're more of like the inner circle, right? Peter, James, and John. We know the most about them, less about the other ones. But the implication is there is that, you know what? Small groups work. Community groups work, see? You get into a smaller group, why? You can do life together. You can learn. 
You can grow. You can help each other. You can hold each other accountable. Our Sunday mornings, church, this is about celebration. We are here to learn to like kind of be refreshed and renewed for our week coming up to remind each other the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. But then we are to gather outside of Sunday morning, right? I know it's, it's really hard not to look at the, the cute baby leaving. I get it. You see, I can see, I can see all your eyes. So I'm, I'm talking it up up here, and then all I see is the eyes going. Hey, Pastor Keith, look at the cute baby, you know. It's all right. You all have ADD, I know it. That's okay. <clears throat> but it's part of community. And the idea there is that even within Jesus 12, he had a smaller group, a smaller community that he spent even more time with, a little bit more intimate with. There's a model for us to follow. And then finally, the what. Jesus, it says in verse 14 and 15, that he called them, why? So that he could be with them and he could send them out to preach. But notice what comes first, to be with him. It says in verse 14, he appointed the twelve so that they might be with him. There's so much wrapped up in that phrase, be with him. Do you get that? Do you want to be with Jesus? Do you want to walk with Him? Do you want to engage in that intimate relationship with Him? That's what it takes. That's what it means to be a disciple. When you choose as a believer to be a disciple, you're saying, Jesus, I'm laying it all down. Do we not talk about sacrifice and worship? We are to sacrifice all that He has given us. Remember, we read that story in Genesis. God called Abraham to sacrifice His only son, the one that He had wanted for so long that he and his wife had prayed for longed for so you know what that tells us god says yes i'm going to bless you with your heart's desire but then you make sure you give him back to me god does that with us he will bless you he will bless you as you pray and he will bless you but take all those blessings and turn it back into praise and worship to him Be willing to offer it up and sacrifice it to Him. He blesses you with a job, then you honor Him by doing the best job you can. Sharing your faith when you get the opportunity. Any money that He allows you to have, remember it all comes from Him. You just give it back to Him. You hold it out. God, do with it as you will. Relationships. We love to hold on to those relationships. God brings people into your life. Return them back to Him. We say that with kids. God lends us our kids for a time. They'll always be our children, whether in the house or out. But you know what? And we'll always love them. But God then says, give them back to me. He says that to Abraham. Does that with Isaac. It is about that intimate relationship. So Jesus calls the twelve. Why? So they could be with Him. And then they're with Him. And it says also He, so He could then send them out. Do you see the, the reciprocity there? He calls them, let's be, for these next couple of years, we're going to do life together. You're going to learn from me. I'm going to show you how. You're going to walk in my footsteps, and then I'm going to send you out, because then I have to leave. See, they didn't even get that. Jesus, did he not say, I say it all the time, he said, it's even better that I go so I can leave you the Holy Spirit to guide and direct you. Jesus said, I'm not going to be here forever. So I need to pass on what the Father has given to me for you to go and to do likewise. 
See, we're supposed to be continuing in that legacy of disciples making disciples. So consider, how are you doing that in your life? Are you allowing somebody to teach you? Are you then allowing God to use you to teach others how to follow the Lord Jesus? See, first, these disciples, these twelve, they followed Him. They believed and they followed, so they were students, they were disciples, they were kind of like part-time learners because they, they were fishing again. But then Jesus comes along and He calls them, He says, come follow Me. Now it was the time to step it up. Now you're going to be full-time followers. You're going to be My disciples, leave everything and follow after Me. Now in this passage, He calls the twelve to get even closer. He says, now you're apostles, I'm going to train you. We're going to live together. I'm going to show you what it's like. I'm going to teach you and show you. Remember I said in the parable we're going to see in just a week or two, he teaches them, but then he pulls them aside. Let me explain it to you. That's discipleship. That's learning and then saying, well, what does that mean? How do I walk that out in my life and in my faith? But then they don't just stop there. Then they are sent out to preach. So we are called to be in community. He says at the end of the passage, right, when all of those are gathered around him and they're pressing in, he can't even eat a meal. They can't even eat a meal because they're like shoulder to shoulder. Do you ever go to a party in a small place, right, and there's like, your shoulder, you can't even sit down. Where do you put your drink, whatever? You can't even sit down. They couldn't even sit to eat a meal. And his disciples are like, this is crazy. Even his family, it says, they come, you know what? They think he's insane. I mean, it's kind of like sandwiched in here in our passage, Right about him calling the twelve, then his family. All of a sudden, it talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I'm going to touch on that in, in just a minute. It's important. We don't want to skip over that. But he's calling him, even his family, and yet didn't believe. In John, it says it was in John seven five that his brothers, his family, don't believe him. See, all of his step siblings didn't believe him. Can you imagine, like having? A sibling who, you know, you, you always kind of have that one sibling and you say, oh, my parents think that he's perfect. Well, Jesus was perfect, see? And so he had these step-siblings. And can you imagine just Mary being like, well, let me tell you about your brother Jesus, your half-brother. He's God. And um, he's like perfect, you know? So maybe a little animosity. Oh, yeah, you favor him, don't you, you know? But as of yet, they didn't even believe him. They thought he was crazy. And that's a really powerful word it says there. When it says that he thought he had lost his mind, right? Or that he was crazy. It's true. It says he is out of his mind. They thought he was like a lunatic. And it says they came to seize him. It's a word for like arresting. They wanted to get, grab him out of there. Hey, you're not, you're not representing our family well. We don't like the way you're, you, you can't even eat a meal. This is crazy, the things you're saying. But then in verse 22, and we get to that, and, and it says the scribes, they didn't think he was crazy. They thought he was possessed. See, and here's that whole thing about blaspheming the Holy Spirit in a nutshell. What it was is it was the scribes, it was the Pharisees, the religious leaders saying, we recognize your power and authority, but we say it's not from God, it's from Satan. That's the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Now, some scholars would say you can't, re- you can't recreate that, so we cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit that way. But in essence, what does that mean for us today in the church? That one, quote-unquote, unforgivable sin 
is the one where you do not recognize Christ's authority and you do not, by the time that God takes you, that you do not put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Because we know that's the only way to heaven. So really, in that sense for us, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is when you finally deny Christ who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit came upon him when he was baptized. See, that's really what that means. I mean, for that time and that context, it was them saying, hey, your power and authority, Jesus, is not from God, it's from Satan. So then Jesus teaches them, he's like, how can Satan cast out Satan? He's saying, you're not even listening to what you're saying. You're being ridiculous. How can a kingdom, if it's divided, it's going to fall? He's like, this makes no sense. If my power is from Satan, why am I casting out demons? Right? They're just trying to find a way to trap him. If a house is divided against itself. And then he gives at the end in verse 27. He's like, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. What he's talking about is himself. He's saying, this is why I'm casting out demons. He's giving those 12 apostles the authority to cast out demons and to heal. Why? To authenticate and validate the fact that they are from Christ, it's the same message. But he says, in a parable, no one can enter a strong man's house. That means Satan. And plunder his goods. That means take God's possessions, his people, back from him. From under the authority of Satan. He goes, unless you first bind that strong man. You can't bust into a strong man's house and steal all his stuff back, right? Unless you first bind that strong man. He's like, we, he says, this is why I'm, I'm casting out demons. I'm binding Satan so I can redeem my father's children. That's what he's doing. So, but you know what that means? That's all about authority. His family didn't recognize authority. They thought he was crazy. The Pharisees were giving the authority that he had from, to Satan, and it wasn't. It was from God. Jesus called it blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But that goes for us too. We have that same authority issue. When we don't obey God, it's really an authority issue. It's about us not wanting to give God the authority. See, there's really only, in regards to authority, there's really only two options that we have. We are either under God's authority or Satan's authority. Now, it's strong words, but for our context, what does it mean to be under Satan's authority? It means self it means living for self. What you heard, what we learned this that week at Harvey Cedars at the Bible conference was all about not living the me first life, but about the God first life. Because the me first life, he said, was the worst life. That's what it means to really have your authority from Satan, the one who rules this world that we live in, see? So who's your authority? Who are you giving authority over your life? Is it self? which is exactly what the enemy wants, or is it God? See, Jesus gives no other option. So he's saying, and he spoke with authority. He then gives his apostles authority. I'm passing that authority on to you. So we are then to surrender ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves, the living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God as a spiritual act of sacrificial worship to God, giving him all power and authority. He gave that to his disciples, the ability to actually cast out demons and heal. Why? To give confirmation and validity to Jesus' message that they were his representatives, his apostles. And now we have 
the powerful Word of God that gives us all of that evidence, all of that revelation has been testified to. Now, we, we're, what part do we play? We are to be disciples. We are to be called out ones, being sent out for Him. And with this, you know, there are two things I think that that followers of Jesus, that disciples need to carry. We are really called to carry the cross, to carry the yoke. It's been said that we are called to carry the cross, as Jesus says, that we are to deny ourselves from Luke chapter 9. Remember that? When He says to all of the people, if you are to be My followers, He says if anyone wants to come and follow Me, what are we to do? Take up our cross when? Daily? To deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Him. See, so we're to carry the cross in that we are to sacrifice ourselves to Him, recognizing it's His authority. We're laying down our lives. We're carrying that cross where we are surrendering ourselves to Him. But then the other thing we're supposed to carry is the yoke. You remember in Matthew, I think it's in Matthew 11, when He says, take My yoke upon you, right? Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and then you'll find rest for your soul. He says, learn. So we're going to take up our crosses to follow Him sacrificially, laying it all down. But we also, and we take that yoke, remember that was the thing that binds the two oxen together so they could do the work in the field? He says, take my yoke. So get in that yoke with Jesus next to you, and He says, I'll teach you. I'll show you. We're going to walk together because if you're yoked together with somebody you're not going in separate directions that's the whole idea of the yoke to keep the oxen moving together he says let's move together on this see that come and take my yoke upon you i'm here i have my yoke you get beside me and and i'll show you i'll give you that hands-on training daily to learn so take up the cross take his yoke the two things disciples should bear. Can't do one really without the other and make it work. So Jesus calls the twelve to intimate relationship with Him. He calls us. He invites us to intimate relationship with Him. Are you accepting that invitation? And are you willing to follow? Let's pray. Father, thank You for our time together. Would You bless us now as we leave this place. God, You call us to learn from You and to grow. To enjoy that invitation to intimate relationship with You. That closeness. God, um, help us to know what that looks like in our daily lives. Remind us often to take up our cross and to take Your yoke upon us that You would lead and guide, that You would sustain us. Lord, that we would be willing to walk in Your footsteps as Your followers. Then help us to show others where those footsteps are, to walk alongside others, to help them, to bless them as You help and bless us. And God, at the end, You get all the glory. We pray for Your help, for Your continued guidance and strength and provision now god as we are the sent out ones send us out from this place to go and to do your will in jesus name we pray amen
Have a blessed week. God bless.